Welcome to Season 2 of African Gold. I'm your host, Neil Liddell, and it is good to be back. This season, we once again bring you face-to-face with the leading minds, mavericks, and entrepreneurs in the business, but we also take a deep dive into the rabbit hole, exploring some of the more complex issues facing the industry. The, the state also importantly acknowledges that the war on drugs has been a complete failure. We've been having talks about recreational cannabis for years with government. We've got a full bud bar where we have indoor, outdoor, greenhouse, hydroponics, and we've, we've set up a social grow-up. And one of those more complex issues is the law. With our president's cannabis comments during his State of the Nation address and the recent amendments to the Cannabis for Private Purposes bill, there's no better time to jump into this particular rabbit hole. Things are about to get real. So in this episode, we attempt to uncloud, untangle and understand the complex haze of our current cannabis laws. Where are we now? Where are we going? And should we be getting excited? And that all comes down to this beautiful little sentence saying the commercial activities in respect of cannabis for recreational use are hereby authorized. Before we get started, I first want to look at the very basics. Why is cannabis illegal and why does this appear to be changing now? To answer the first part, we need to look at something called the limitation of rights. We all have constitutional rights that are enshrined in the Bill of Rights. The right to freedom of religion, the right to freedom of trade, the right to privacy, etc. But the states can limit these rights in certain instances, as they have with cannabis. It would be illegal because the government deems something to be harmful to society, or to individuals' health, or to the, the sort of general well-being and functioning of society. This is Andrew McPherson, attorney at Ward Brink, specialist in cannabis law, and the lead attorney on the Hayes Club case, which we'll discuss a bit later in this episode. So the state has to do an exercise in which they balance or weigh up one right against the other because we clearly have competing com- competing rights here. You know, the state would argue that you've got, you know, they've got an obligation to keep us safe and to keep the society free from crime and, 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 and the things of this nature. Um, and that pr- plays into the, the, the right to bodily safety and all of these things. And then on the other side, you've got the right to privacy, the right to do what you want in your own home. The court must look at what is the best for an open and democratic society. Is the restriction that is being proposed by the state in this instance to, to limit and regulate the b- cannabis black market, is the broad restrictions imposed, are they justifiable in an open and democratic society? And the pertinent question there is, is there a less restrictive means by which to regulate this industry? And the answer there is absolutely yes. Limiting our rights by imposing prison sentences and criminal records are the most severe and restrictive measures available to governments. So it begs the question, are the harms associated with cannabis severe enough to limit our rights as citizens, and are there not less restrictive means out there than jail time? By now, I think the answer is clear. Many an activist has been shouting this for decades, but the message has fallen on deaf ears. Until now. All of a sudden, in this new draft bill, government admits, and I quote, The policy of declaring a war on drugs has been a failure. And the criminal law has no right to interfere with personal behavior if it causes no harm to others. And another good one, cannabis is a soft drug 
and should not be subjected to the harsh control measures that the international drug control regime currently imposes on it. So has government finally woken up to the science and that actually cannabis is no more harmful than alcohol and tobacco? Which is also stated in the new bill, by the way. Or is there another motive driving government towards greener pastures? Uh, U.S. legal cannabis sales forecast to top $24 billion in 2021, a 40% increase year over year, making pot one of the fastest growing U.S. industries. The CEO of Cresco Labs believes the industry is headed for a super cycle. The global cannabis market, $150 billion U.S. dollars, which in RAND terms uh, is massive. It's about 769, 700, listen properly. 700.2 million rand. And that's a lot of rands. So perhaps the reason that government is getting off the couch is because that's where the money is. But no matter the reason, it seems the state is finally making a push to legalize and formalize the cannabis economy. Here's what Cyril had to say in his recent State of the Nation address. Sweet news for our people in the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu-Natal for industrial hemp and cannabis to realize huge potential for investment and job creation. Nice speech, but I feel the touch of deja vu coming on. We've heard all this before in similar Sona speeches where the president said pretty much the same thing. And here we are three years later with no change in legislation. And while it gives the media something to write about, is anything really different this time? Well, yes and no. But to understand this, we first need to have a look at what has actually happened in the past few years and what is happening now. We will cover the four legal events that have changed the South African cannabis landscape most profoundly. The Privacy Judgment of 2018, the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill, the Cannabis Master Plan, and the recent revisions to the Private Purpose Bill. It all started here in 2018. This court concludes that Section 4B of the Drugs Act is unconstitutional and therefore invalid to the extent that it prohibits the use or possession of cannabis by an adult in private for that adult's personal consumption in private. This is Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, handing down his judgment legalizing cannabis for private use in a judgment known as Prince 3, or the Privacy Judgment of 2018. Zondo gave the government two years to draw up legislation while the country celebrated. And who should be celebrating more than Gareth Prince, the man who brought the case before the Constitutional Court in the first place, and whose story we covered in Season 1. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Russ Prince, thank you so much for talking to us. Can you just tell me, you were telling me 21 years later, and here you are, the highest court in the land. 16 years ago, the Constitutional Court held, a majority of the Constitutional Court held, that Rastafari is not fit and proper to be lawyers in this country. Today is a vindication for the Rastafari community, for the cannabis community, as well as for myself, in the sense that I am to be given the dignity and the respect that I, as a Rastafari, deserve because I am an indigenous member of this country. Rastafari is an indigenous culture. But the celebration would soon turn to consternation as government drag their feet while the police continue their arrests unabated. 
In the two years following the judgment, very little happened, until the 11th hour, when government finally presented the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill. South Africa's very first legal cannabis framework. And while this bill has been discussed in great lengths in the media, the short end of it is that it was a pile of shit. So it went to Parliament and we heard very little, if anything, for the first basically year and three quarters. And then at the 11th hour, um, Parliament came out with this bill, the the Cannabis for Private Purposes bill, which was then um, circulated widely very quickly as it was the first proper cannabis-based legislation, or at least intended legislation, um, that had come out of our government. And so there was a lot of excitement and a lot of... um, enthusiasm. However, that was quickly stymied when people read the bill and they realized that the government, at least insofar as we can read its intentions through the original draft that came out in in around September 2020, I think it was August 2020, what we could see was that the the legislature, importantly, it had been drafted by the Department of Justice and Correctional Services, and you know one must ask why why are they the ones drafting bills about cannabis when you know you should be in- incorporating things like the Department of Health, Department of Agriculture. The bill essentially said we are going to allow this little inch of leeway within the current legislation in order to allow one person to cultivate a little bit of cannabis at their house for their own personal use. Um, But everything else is going to be criminalized. In fact, it's going to be heavily criminalized. And it created a lot of of absurdities that would exist um, just on the, you know, when you try to extrapolate what what the bill would mean if if applied to to society as it stands. And they, they quite rightly received a lot of blowback from this bill um, it, it appeared like they just hadn't done their research. They were they were not wanting to allow anything to happen. And they were saying, well, fine, if we have to give you something, the court said we have to give you this, we, we'll give you that and nothing more. That is it. And we'll criminalize, criminalize the hell out of any other conduct. Okay, so the bill was a fuck up and was sent back to the drawing board. But at this point, I think it's worth asking the question, why was it such a failure? And although this question is nuanced and extremely complex, I think it boils down to two main factors. One, there was no engagement with the private sector. Stakeholders who have a deep understanding of the cannabis landscape were excluded from the drafting process. And therefore, what was eventually presented was riddled with absurdities. The second factor is government's structure itself, which is best described by Paul Michael Keichel, one of South Africa's most distinguished cannabis attorneys. There are these other tentacles of the great drunk octopus that is government that that are all doing their own thing. You know, um, it's one of these things. I don't know what's going on inside the, the central nervous system of this great drunk octopus. Paul Michael very eloquently highlights an important point. Government is not simply one entity acting in isolation. It is like an octopus with many tentacles, all acting independently and apparently unaware of each other. But unlike the intelligent sea creature which can coordinate each individual arm seamlessly and elegantly, South Africa's octopus can be found above the waterline at the nearest Shabin, usually on a Friday night, seven Zamaleks down. So, so yeah, you, you, as I said, you've got these two almost like parallel and yet contradictory um, ways of thinking in government. And until those two are brought together, 
um, you know, it's it's certainly not a free for all, and and nobody can just you know jump headfirst into the cannabis industry feeling safe. So one of the biggest hurdles we face is the lack of a unified voice in government. We have all these departments with their own agendas acting independently and in contradiction of each other. But the good news is that the octopus seems to finally have realized this and is taking steps to get their arms in line. But first, let's briefly touch on the cannabis master plan that came out in 2021. This was a document published by another one of the tentacles, the Department of Agriculture. But this time, there was participation by other government departments, and the result was a roadmap for the commercialization of cannabis in South Africa. For the purposes of time, I'm not going to go into the details, as it has been discussed in great detail elsewhere, and I'll leave links in the show notes to these discussions. Suffice to say, it shows government's intent to legalize and commercialize cannabis. It's a matter of time before governments realize the value financially and, and to the, you know, the, the, the taxation, the, the employment, the, the, the general contribution to the economy that cannabis can bring and that it's been outlawed for very uh, faulty reasons, that the justifications such that they can be said to be justifications for the, for the outlawing of cannabis are no longer relevant. There's research out there, you know, there's a ton of research showing that all of that is incorrect and this is actually, the state has actually picked up on this and that, that came to our attention first of all in what they call the, the National Cannabis Master Plan which appears to be siding with the cannabis community in that it it makes the most clear point it makes is that the, the easiest way to disassemble the cannabis black market is to bring about legalization. And that brings us to our final point of discussion, the amendments to the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill that were published the week of the 7th of March 2022. Let's just call these the New Bill. The New Bill essentially came about after discussions with stakeholders that eventually took place in August 2021. And contained within this New Bill is one very exciting section. So in this bill, um, they have proposed a new clause, which would be headed the commercial activities in respect of recreational cannabis. And this is, to a large extent, what a lot of the community has been waiting for. What this section envisions is that there will be further legislation that will need to be drafted. Remember, this bill is for the private, private use of cannabis. And if we're going to be talking about the commercial activities, there will be... Um, there needs to be legislation drafted to regulate that industry, which may seem frustrating, but it's you know that's par for the course in any industry with alcohol, tobacco, anything. There has to be strict regulation, um, and that and that does need to happen, and that is why they say the first clause, the first sub clause under this section says, subject to the enactment of na- national legislation, commercial activities in respect of cannabis for recreational use are hereby authorized. So what they're saying is. We are uh, we are allowing for rec- the commercialization of recreational cannabis, but it needs to be done in accordance with national legislation, which at present isn't drafted and therefore needs to be drafted. So that that does it. It it's very positive. It's showing that that's that's coming, but it hasn't come yet. 
where we, we're in this sort of gap right now, and that doesn't, it doesn't help us because we're still seeing lots of arrests. We're seeing lots of uh, court cases and criminal prosecutions going ahead against people in the cannabis industry. So, so there, is, there is a need for, for national legislation to regulate it, but we're in this position now where we don't know what, for example, with the Hayes Club case, you know, they, they're now talking about commercializing recreational cannabis. If this section was already law, there would be no Hayes Club case. Hayes Club would be operating fine. So the question is, is, is the state now coming around? And if so, when? Because we've got this, the, these sections here, but, but obviously they're not law. They're just suggestions for the time being or, 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 or proposals. And they will bear out in time, but we obviously need to be patient. We've seen that this bill's taken four years to get here. Yay! So it's positive news for a change. The flip side of the coin is that the new bill still includes many of the absurdities of the old one. For example, the new bill recognizes that cannabis is no more harmful than alcohol and tobacco, but in the same document goes on to limit the number of plants you can grow or the number of grams you are allowed in your house, etc. Why? Here's Paul Michael again. I can't tell you why. I've been trying to extract that why, um, well, the answer to that why from government since, since I first set eyes on the cannabis for private purposes bill. It's, there's a huge irony and, and you know that's what we say this bill is riddled with um, unconstitutionality and contradiction how can you acknowledge that fact while in the same um in the same document then go on to propose to treat it entirely differently to how you treat tobacco and alcohol i mean nobody comes and um, inspects your wine cellar to make sure that you don't have um above a specific number of bottles of you know cab sav and Similarly, if, if you want to buy cigarettes in bulk so, so that you are shielded from future price changes, there's nothing in the law that says you're not allowed to do that. It's, it's only if you actually are proved to have been selling, can, uh, selling tobacco or selling alcohol without a, you know, the, the, the required license that, that the criminal justice system is legitimate and intervening. So why not the same with cannabis? Why not indeed? And before I move on to more good news, it's worth pointing out another concern with the bill as it stands. Another con put forward by the state in this bill, at least in the, in the opinions contained in there by the legislators, is that, that the state doesn't have the resources to police the criminal sanctions that are being imposed in terms of this bill. So the bill contains limitations on quantities 600 grams and the size of plants below 15 centimeters in height is considered a seedling and seeds unlimited seeds and seedlings and how many plants you can grow at home four flowering plants how much cannabis you can have on you 100 grams how much a family can have eight flowering plants or 1200 grams per household they're all fairly arbitrary amounts. I mean, they're also saying they want things, they want cannabis to be treated like alcohol and cigarettes, but we know that alcohol and cigarettes aren't limited in the quantity of what you can buy. You can go to wherever and go buy as much alcohol as you want. Here's Gareth Prince. How can you have a different regime for alcohol and tobacco and then have another, another regime for cannabis? It's illogical, it's irrational, and it's unjust. Um, so so it's, uh, it's unfair of them to make this argument about policing because what they do then is they turn around all of a sudden say, and yes, we don't have the resources to do this policing and therefore this is a, a negative aspect of, of legalization of cannabis. But that is a completely self-serving circular argument. It just, it doesn't make sense. We don't need to have limitations on quantities, therefore we don't need to have policing and therefore we don't need to worry about state resources. And then there's the irony. 
Well, I think that there's a massive irony in, in saying, well, we're not going to be able to police this because the same people who are saying that are the are the ones who are mandating the drafting of something like the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill, which talks about um, a limit on the number of plants of, you know, immature and immature cannabis plants that an individual is allowed to possess or, or, or to cultivate. And, and it begs the question, how, how do you police that? Your, your own piece of legislation, are you, are you going to send around police inspectors to every single private home once a month to make sure that uh, nobody's breaking the cannabis law? Or are you going to rely on a self-reporting system or on neighbors ratting on one another? I mean, it, the very nature of the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill is that it is entirely unpoliceable. But 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 it, it, it ties into the previous discussion, which is if 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 there's not harm that's being prevented, well then nobody's calling upon you to police anything. Leave leave us and leave it alone. And then you've locked up a whole lot of uh, you know police resources in order to 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 fight uh, more serious crime. And I know that the SAPS has always hated that from from the petty drug users who who say, well, leave us alone and go and fight real crime. But it's it's so true. And it's it's not said just to take a stab at the police. It's 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 said in all seriousness that um, enforcing the war on drugs and specifically um, petty drug related crime or drug crime has has not only tied up police resources, um, you know, uh, irrationally and uh, without good cause for a number of of decades, but it's 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 also so open to corruption. I mean, yeah, I, I think that the very reason that the police are continuing to arrest um, petty cannabis users is because they know that the average person is is rather going to pay a small bribe to get released and dropped back off on the side of the road than to now fight a constitutional case and enforce their rights and do what is right. And and Unfortunately, it has become something of of a of a police uh, racket when it comes to shaking down drug users. So I don't know. I don't buy it. This this we can't police it. It's nonsense. You you police alcohol and tobacco just fine. Well, you know, it's just if you treat them, if you treat cannabis the same or at least no more harshly than those things, it's not something that needs to be policed closely. So the bill is not perfect. It has its flaws, and one hopes that sanity prevails and these sections are amended accordingly. But what it does do, and this is extremely positive, is highlight government's intent to legalise the recreational use of cannabis. I think we can safely say it will happen. It's just a matter of how and when. And although these hows and whens are extremely important and probably worth an entire episode on their own, for now, if I allow the eternal optimist in me to speculate, I'd say this day will be soon. And the reason I think so brings me to the final piece of good news. The octopus has recognized its shortcomings, or at least some of them, and is now turning to the private sector for help. And this is huge. The the, the sentiment is actually really positive. Um, Government and, in fact, the Office of the Presidency, who we've met with on on separate occasions, or, or let's rather put it like this, certain branches or certain members of departments uh, from within government who are part of an interdepartmental working uh, work stream in relation to the National Cannabis Master Plan are meeting with the private sector working group that we put together. Um, And that same working group um, has also had some meetings with the Office of the Presidency. 
And the positive sentiment that we're getting really is that there's an acknowledgement that um, a lot of people high up don't actually know what they're doing. So they're saying, all right, um, we, we're now looking to you to guide us as to what, what, what we ought to do. And when I say you, I mean, uh, they're, looking to, they're looking to the private sector working group. Um, and what's, what's been said as part of uh, the presidency's Operation Bulind Lela, you know, it's a fast track economic recovery and job creation. Um, what, what's been asked of us is how do we get out of your way? So, so what are your barriers to entry and how do we remove them? And th the, those are the nature of the engagements, which as I said, um, leave us feeling very positive. And that is where we are and from whence we've come. Some good, some bad, some plain ugly. The journey was never going to be easy and the road to legalization is one with no signposts, no painted lines and is riddled with potholes. But it's a road, and we're on it, and it has but one destination. <laughs>